Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets! Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good evening, sports fans. Welcome to the latest installment of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT streaming live at WSBTradio.com on the WSBT radio app. And also, I'm attempting to fix my camera, which is on the Twitch app. I'm not doing very well. There we go. As good as it's going to get. I mean, the camera's working with this. I mean, it can only do so much. He is Eric Hansen. What's that? Your microphone is not working. Now I think it's working. Okay, I'm going to say something different. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Feel free. I said the camera loves you, Oh, I'm sure it does. He is Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideNDSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett, and we are very happy to, to be talking. Whoa, to what is going on? Bethel There's University some weird stuff going on in Indiana the studio right now, as I'm trying to fix it on the fly. You're not hearing it. You don't have headphones on. Can we just start the show over? There's like weird bugs or something here in the system. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm fighting can the, the system. Can the listeners hear it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we got things. Your mic wasn't working, and commercials are playing. So we'll just start over in three, two, and one. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Feed. He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm engineer and working with cameras and doing everything but focusing on doing a radio show, Darren Pritchett. It is 10 minutes after 5 o'clock on this Wednesday, October the 4th. I mean, you can see half of my face on the Twitter screen. If you're watching, I'm sorry. I tried to fix it. I'm done. I'm moving along to other things. Because i got to talk to Eric about... A 5-1 and one Notre Dame football team that's got to play another primetime game against a top 25 opponent on the road. 
And we are talking about number 25, Louisville, Saturday night, 7.30 kick here on WSBT Radio. But also, we still have to kick around some topics looming from the dramatic 21-14 win over the Dukies last Saturday. Is that your phone? Yeah. See, now we got things going on over there now. I was silencing it, (laughs) and it beat me to it. Man, oh, man. Okay. So, we've got some Jared Parker audio coming up in a little bit. The Irish offensive coordinator met the media last night, so we'll have plenty of conversations on the Irish offense. That's put up 35 points total the last two ball games. We've got our Twitter question of the day. I've got my updated DP poll where I update the top teams in college football up to Notre Dame. You do the top 16, Eric, in your poll that you're but a part I do, of. But I do yeah. a top 25. The 17 through 25 are just for me. Just for fun. That's right. right. For grins. So I do a poll up until I have Notre Dame. Okay. That's my unique way because nobody cares about the teams behind Notre Dame. They're going to stay behind the Irish, Eric. We all oh, okay. know that. All right. Doggone it. So we've got that coming up and – yeah, I didn't do much with the Irish after last week. Did you do much with Notre Dame in your poll? Considering other um, things happening across the country. I think I moved them up maybe a one spot. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we have the My Five today, the five Louisville football players that you need to know about that the Irish will take on Saturday night down on a sold-out night in Louisville. They're packing the place. What, about 60,000, 65,000, I think? Jam into that facility. They seem to sell out when Notre Dame comes to town. <laughs> they the need last more time Notre was Dame. 2019. Yeah, and I was there for that. Yes, you were. Good stadium. Looks good on the outside. It was good. I think okay. Car- Carter Carls was with us at the time. Oh, that makes it better right there. Very disappointed that it was still not called Papa John Stadium <laughs> at that point. <laughs> because the basketball arena is got a restaurant title to it, so well, why not? and it used to be Papa John's Stadium. Yep. They took the name away. Now it's Barnaby's, <laughs> since they <laughs> sponsor Sports Beat. But Barnaby's is really good. That's pizza. right. That's right. All right, and we got Sizzler coming up as well at the end of the program. Some sports wagering picks. But let's get down to it. Let's talk some Notre Dame football. Eric and Darren with you here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So. Let's ask this question to kick off our opening topics for the program. Eric, what do you hope Marcus Freeman and his coaching staff learned during that win over Duke? We'll go offense and then defense. So let's just focus on offense right now. What do you hope the coaching staff learned from that ballgame? How to operate in a noisy stadium. Uh, uh, To me, that was the most shocking Part of um, not adjusting was not having a better plan to play in a noisy stadium. They had already played on the road at NC State. It was a little bit different situation because there was a lightning, you know, delay, and then when when they came back from it, half the stadium had gone home, and then Notre Dame pulled away, and it wasn't very noisy. The people that were still there, but I mean, Clemson and possibly Louisville will be much more noisy than Duke was. And and not to have a better plan going in, I thought, was a criticism that I think Marcus should take. Um, so that was the most alarming part for me 
from what they should have learned from the offense. I think also, um, you know, try to keep your wide receivers healthy, but but when when the interior line was struggling as much as they can, what are some fixes that you could have done to help them with what Duke was doing defensively? Duke is a difficult defense. I mean, Duke and Ohio State and Clemson will be the three best defenses Notre Dame sees. Louisville's better than average, um, so it's not going to be an easy defense to go against. They've improved since Clemson. Right. And NC State is one of the better defenses. So they've gone against three of the better defenses already. uh, But that was, I mean, probably for Zeke Carell, I mean, easily his roughest game of the season, easily the roughest game for Pat Coogan. I'm not going to steal a whole lot from our second question, and you were tiptoeing along that answer during your answer, but the coaches... Did you want me to do defense? No, 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 just do offense now. But the coaching staff knows this, so this is not breaking news, but continue, continue to develop the wide receiver position because... The play of the wide receivers affected the running game immensely in this football game. And keep recruiting. And maybe add a transfer portal guy, a veteran guy next year, just in case. But that's a story for another day. But Well, they they did, and then that guy yeah. retired. But was he a difference maker? He I was think a he player. Would, he was a player. He would have been good in this it's, game. Yes. Yeah. He would Absolutely. have been valuable. Okay, so now let's go to defense. What do you hope Coach Freeman and his coaching staff learned in that win over Duke? They played really well. It's hard to... They did. Um, You know, I had, um, as I usually do on Tuesday night, I had Al Golden, and I had a lot of questions that I could throw at him because, again, everybody's kind of scattered throughout the room. My responsibility is to be with Al Golden. No two-question limit? No two-question limit. And... uh, he was a little edgy last night. Really? Yeah. He I was, thought it would have been the other way around. I know, Al yeah. would have been happy and Jared yeah. would have been – I mean, Jared was like singing a song as he was doing his presser. He was in a good mood. Well, I would say – I mean, certainly at the top of the list is better tackling. And I did ask yeah. him about that, and that was the question that got him edgy. Um, you know, I think that it's my responsibility to ask that question. Well, it's a fair and, question. Well, and, and what I did was – I kind of went at it in terms of, because I I mean, if you really want to get yelled at, then say, do you guys even practice tackling? <laughs> um, so That's what the fans want you to ask. <laughs> I know they do. So I try to go at it diplomatically. I said, you know, with the restrictions of how much physicality you can have at the college level in practices, because they do have, you know, Marcus puts that restriction on them so they sure. don't have injuries in practice. Yep. I said, how did that compare to how you would work on tackling in the NFL? And then he kind of got into, so are you kind of suggesting that our tackling needed to be better? Is that a question? I go, yeah, I'm asking that question. And so then he he went right at it. He was very honest. He goes, yeah, I was disappointed with it. So he, he did go there, but he was going to test me a little bit and make me work for it. Um, and so... Um, yeah, he said it needs to be better, and, you know, how does it get better? I mean, I, d- I don't know that we really got the answer to that, and nor – It's I mean, tough there's, today. 
Yeah. There's so many restrictions, Eric. I mean, teams across the country are all struggling tackling in my eyes. It's well, just not as good because you don't practice it as much. Well, I remember, for example, now this was a more of an extreme case, and this is back when college teams did do physical practices. Charlie Weiss came from the NFL where they do more kind of walk-through yeah. things. And, and the short version of the story is in 2005 and six, he had inherited a pretty veteran team that maybe didn't need that, that had a lot of experience that could, could do that, kind of like a pro team. Sure. In 2007, the roster completely turns over, and you have guys that haven't been getting practice reps, and now they're not taking them at full speed. And Notre Dame looked awful on both sides of the ball. And then so Charlie said, okay, we're going to have to have physical practices. But by this point, I think they're 1-5 and five or whatever they were at that point, 0-4. Uh, 0-6. Oh yeah. yeah, he had already yelled at me in the press conference. <laughs> so, um, so, but he, he changed his approach, but it was really kind of too late to save the season. They did get a couple wins toward the end of the season, ironically against Duke. And Stanford, um, but so yeah, there's some restrictions. But there are other teams have those same self-imposed restrictions. And Notre Dame, you know, we looked in the Pro Football Focus stats, and they're about halfway down the list of teams in terms of ta- good tackling teams. They're about 60th out of 130, so they're not as bad as you think. But for a team that's 11th in total defense. Can you imagine how good they would be if they were a better tackling team? And so I then made the um, the inroads to try to go down certain individuals and kind of um, kind of backdoor the question in that way. <laughs> and so um, you know, I think a little bit better result, but I think Al knew what I was doing. Just going to make you work for so, it. So so that would be the biggest thing. And then you know. Somebody asked him about, um, you know, certain defensive metrics, what what he pays attention to. And he isn't a big proponent of how important run defense is from this standpoint. He said, if you sell out for the run, you could give up explosives, both in the run and the pass. He said, we want to be a good run defense, but not at the cost of giving up explosives. And so... um, I don't think that was the case, but certainly Duke made an adjustment at halftime with Leonard and their running game. Their running game was much more – I mean, they were shutting it down in the first half, and then they were getting pretty consistent yardage in the second half. So why wasn't there an adjustment? Aren't you surprised they didn't put Leonard more in the spotlight running the football earlier? Yeah, although, again, I thought Notre Dame defended that well, and I think – Duke thought they would get more out of their passing game. I mean, he's 12 of 27 in that game. And that's why, again, when we get to the end scenario where Duke got the ball back, I, I'm willing to give him the ball back with Heck 31 yes. seconds and three Heck timeouts. Yes. He's 12 of 27. I'll take, you know, he can only run so many times and without the clock running out. So, yeah, I'll take that. If it were Caleb Williams, I have maybe a different story. Different strategy. story. Yes. Well, I'm going to just keep keep it short and sweet. Defensively, what can the coaching staff learn? 
that the next time someone talks about Howard Cross being undersized, they become the tackling dummy <laughs> so the Irish can practice tackling more. This kid, Eric, is having a fantastic, fantastic year. 13 tackles, a sack, two forced fumbles, closed out the game. And He's the number one tackling defensive lineman in the country. How about that? Yeah. How about that? And Riley Mills, sometimes his stats don't show it, but he's eaten up blockers for other people to do damage. So, And he I, also had seven tackles. And he did in that game. But other games, yeah. he might have two, three yeah, tackles. Right. Like, why isn't right. he making right. more plays? Well, sometimes yeah. he's eating up two guys. Right. And that helps the linebacking core. It helps Howard Cross on down the line. Right now, those two have risen to the top. And you're starting to see JJB, meaning – Javante Jean-Baptiste start to surge too. What they need is that Viper position to start. Now, again, they're going to be without their starter in the first half, but they need, if that position starts getting it together, then they're going to have a very good second half of the season defensively. Eric Hansen, publisher, editor, InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame football on the Rivals Network. I'm Darren Pritchett. Let's go to our second opening topic for this Wednesday. How much of a factor was the Irish offensive struggle Saturday due to the injuries at wide receiver? Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse did not play due to hamstring injuries. And also, how much did that affect when you think about the running game? And the Irish were running into brick walls, it seemed like, for much of that game. So as we look at the entire offense... How much do the injuries and, for those who played the inconsistencies, hurt other people in the offense? So let's pretend that Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas were available for this game. It changes Duke's whole strategy. And what happened without those two is Duke was able to bring extra resources to its run defense because they didn't have to Normally, they would be scared to think about Sam Hartman winging it down the field. They gave up almost 400 yards to him last year in the Duke-Wake Forest game. So, so they were like, okay, let's, let's dedicate. And then that magnified the problems the interior defensive line was having. You bet. The interior defensive line's problems were magnifying the problems in the passing game because now you have more third and tens, you have more second and fifteens because you can't throw the ball. And that, and that makes it even more difficult to throw the ball with a wide receiver that's underconfident a wide, and wide receiver that's still kind of learning the nuances in Chris Tyree and a fearless wide receiver in Rico Flores who doesn't always run the right route, but who is absolutely a gamer. Once he kind of figures out all the nuances, whew, that's that's going to be interesting to see um, what he can bring to the table. It's going to be interesting to see what Notre Dame does with the reps, Darren, when the two Jadens come back and now Merriweather and Flores could conceivably be sharing that position. Who do you play more there? You had your chat today, yeah. and I have not had a chance to read the transcript. I'm wondering if anyone has asked you, based on what happened Saturday – is it time to get the best three wide receivers on the field regardless of position? Have you heard that? I did not hear that 
particular question, although they only had the choice of the three. I guess they could have put Braylon James out <laughs> but there. But I mean but, for this week. Right. Um, because there is a okay. lot of – Well, here's the, here's the okay, thing. Okay, go ahead. It, here is – if you're the coaching staff and you tell me what you would do, because this was the first question in the chat. Okay. Was what's going on with Tobias Merriweather and what Notre Dame decided was, okay, this is a guy that – Every defensive back on the team would say is the most talented wide receiver on the roster. That's okay. what they would say. Yes. <clears throat> Every one of them would say that. However, is he the most productive, the most consistent, the most confident? No, no, and no. No. So are you willing to invest in Tobias Merriweather to get him there? Notre Dame so far has been willing to do that investment. The thing that makes it intriguing now, Darren, is they've also invested in Rico Flores in part because of injuries. Rico Flores is playing better than Tobias at this point. Tobias is still a scarier, you know, physical matchup, but Rico Flores is playing better. So do you do you stay with the Tobias experiment, the investment for two more weeks to the bye week, and then make that determination, or do you change it now? And and I think that's what the coaching staff has to look at. I mean, you're still not going to sit Tobias. But do you give Rico more of the the reps at this point? Do you invest in him more in terms of giving him practice reps so that he is able to read defenses a little bit better and be in the right spot all the time instead of, you know, 65% of the time? Because he absolutely doesn't get nervous. And so that's the guy. Um, if you're asking me what I would do, I would wait to the bye week. I would – I would still give Rico a lot of reps. I would play Tobias on both sides. I would rotate him in for Jaden Thomas like and for Rico. That way you can kind of get him in both places and you're still keeping him sharp. You still have the chance of getting that confidence. We had Bobby Brown, former Notre Dame wide receiver, on our podcast this week, and he thinks it's just a matter of Tobias making some big catches in a game and then kind of getting the that – icky feeling off his back I didn't you know so is it that simple it might be um again because he's very talented but I remember interviewing him right before the season and I just got the sense that he was struggling with the mental part of the expectations of everything where Rico's like put me out there I want to play and you know again it's it's different the expectations were different uh for him but um He's really fast. He's just it's not he's not six four. Um, but he can be a difficult matchup. And he's got really good moves. That two point conversion um against uh Ohio was it Ohio State? Where where do you have the two point conversion? Not this week. Maybe it was this week. He just faked the guy on a two point conversion. I mean got so open because of his moves he's got very very good moves so am i supposed to answer the question <laughs> i want you to answer the question now now that i've led the witness okay i defer my time no i think your line of thinking is very very good i think the bye week is a really good spot to start the transition if you need to I think Tobias can still be very, very helpful the next two weeks because this is still a football team that wants to run the football. 
And who's a better blocker right now at this stage of their career, Merriweather or Flores? Merriweather, but Flores isn't bad. He's okay. not a liability, but he's okay. but he's not. But that's what, a strength for Tobias right, right now. Okay. I remember Daniel Smith had a pretty good time yeah. just being the blocking wide receiver. Right. Every time he came on the field, what was the play call? And now he's Run. Mr. Skyler Diggins. That's exactly right. So, yeah, I'm not putting Tobias on the bench yet. I know it's hard to say that right now because the production just is not there consistently. But, Eric, there was a guy coming out of high school that was supposed to be Randy Moss and wore number 21 for the Irish. In his first three years, a lot of people gave up on him. Oh, yeah. And I learned this is the reason why you never give up on a kid, even going into that last year. And he turned out to have a great senior year. And he probably spent, what, five, six years in the National Football League, I would bet. And I'm talking about Maurice Stovall. You could have been done with Maurice after his junior year, but Charlie Weiss got him out there, and he had a terrific year. And like I said, had a really nice NFL career. I'll give you a couple more like that. Miles Boykin and Javon McKinley. Oh, Javon McKinley, that's a really good one. So, I mean, yeah, you you don't want to give up on somebody, but you do need to make decisions. Realistically, Darren, I mean, Pitt – Pitt is the first game after the bye week. They have the number 122nd ranked pass efficiency defense in the country. Okay, so you're playing. If you make this change, you're playing with Clemson in mind on November 4th because Wake Forest and Stanford aren't going to scare you with their pass defenses. This is about beating Clemson, and that's what that decision would be made on. And again, if you only have one loss going into that week, that's a huge decision because – that Clemson game is either going to push you toward that top four or eliminate you. Let me build on your question with another question. So your premise was, if you're the coach, do you stick with Merriweather or right now do you start incorporating more Rico Flores? And we both decided, wait for the bye week. But let me add an amendment to that thought. If you're in the midst of the USC game, and things aren't going well in a couple of areas, the transition could start in the middle of that game. Is that something you're comfortable with? I agree. Because you can't lose that game. You can't worry about next year or the Clemson game. you got to win the USC game or your playoff hopes are over. So if you've got to pull the plug in the second quarter of that game, I'm okay with that too. Right. I mean, the USC game's not going to be in the played in the teens. It's going to be played in the 30s Oof. or higher than that. So you've got to be, because USC's defense isn't very good, but you've got to be able to match what they're doing on their offense because they're not going to punt very much. I guarantee you, as well as Notre Dame's defense has played, that offense is on a different planet right now. I mean, they've been able to score on everybody. They've given up points to everybody, including 28 to Drew Pine in Arizona State, but they are going to score. Well, that means we don't have to worry about reviews of punts near the pylon in that game. (laughs) Good grief. How do we have so many issues in college football? People not knowing the rules. That is... uh, I would be, I mean, I would be interested to wonder if that's a suspendable offense um, because that could have, that could have affected the outcome of the game with Duke 
scoring on a on a possession that started at the 20 and if that starts inside the one is that a different possession it very well could be so at the end of the day at the start of our conversation the injuries at wide receiver affected everybody on offense that's where the first domino fell i agree i agree as well is there anything else that could have been done to help Hartman and the offensive line and the running backs and the receivers. All we can have that conversation as well. And we will do that coming up as we will bring some audio from Irish offensive coordinator Jared Parker coming up next. Why are you laughing? Did I just do something funny? It's I got a lot of suggestions from the folks on the chat today. They were suggesting different ways that this could be handled. And, and they had some good suggestions. They always do. No doubt. And They're I way had... smarter than me. I'm just glad that they don't make me do a lot of math. Were they the same people that were screaming at us every week that last year Tobias Merriweather should have been on the field? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. And now they're saying more... Braylon James. Well, it's funny. They're... It's more Tobias, more Rocco, and now they and now, now they want we're to done. dismiss. We're done. Put a new one in. The next rock on the next Tobias. We're already hearing words. Why isn't Braylon James playing? Could you go back to last year and reassess what everybody was saying about the wide receivers? Maybe we should trust the position coaches that they probably know who's best to go on the field. Just maybe. All right. We'll talk some more Irish offense coming up next on WSBT. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10-5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Coverage of the Fighting Irish continues on WSBT Radio, Budweiser's weekday sports beat, brought to you by Budweiser. By Legacy Heating and Air, ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. By Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies, visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at BeatIndiana.org by Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. By South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years. And by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations, serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1979. And Louisville is jealous that they don't have a Barnaby's in their city. 542, he's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett, Fighting Irish Offensive Coordinator Jared Parker met the media last night, and one of the first things he was asked, so what went into the 4th and 16 call? There aren't too many play sheets with down and 16 yards to go on it, but he made the call, Sam Hartman made the play, and the rest is history well there's not many calls for fourth and 16 um but we have calls ready we got one we liked out of our three by one set um 
drop eight, as the story has it, right? And you're kind of at that. I think everybody, to be fair, was probably exact thinking exactly how Sam did, which was stay back, find a throw, find a throw, which then he hesitates like, do I try to rip it across my body to Mitch or do I see? And he said, mm-hmm. go, you know. So there's really, I mean, the, the thing is, what do you do? You have to keep the ball alive. You've got to keep it in bounds. And if you run, you got to make it. So it worked out for us and uh, certainly uh, helped TV ratings, I'm sure. Were you, were you anticipating drop eight? Do you think that was kind of I, I didn't, play? you know, I, mean, I think they did it one other time in that when we got another uh, throw, I think, to Rico on the dig. Um, so we knew that was part of who they were. They've shown two-minute studies from last year, and before you do your research, they had that in their calls, so we had calls for it. So it was kind of one of those 50-50s on a fourth down call, but it was in there. You know what I mean? It was in for us and playing for us to be a possibility. Sam to the rescue. No doubt about it. It's nice having a veteran quarterback that did not panic in a big, big moment. And I've had a little Al Golden in me this week. All right. I've been a little chippy. Okay. Because I love to listen to other people's opinions. And then I think about them. Am I wrong? Am I right? And sometimes I adapt my thinking to great philosophies. And sometimes you dig your heels. And sometimes I dig in my heels. (laughs) And this is one I dug in my heels. For anybody that tried to explain that Sam Hartman had just an okay day playing quarterback before that final drive, I think they are mistaken and need to reevaluate their thinking. We just had a segment where we talked about the injuries at wide receiver and for the guys who had to play, and there were some inconsistencies that put Sam in a tough spot. Windows were pretty small to throw into. The running game wasn't there for Sam. You documented how Duke was bringing an extra hat down to stop the running game. That put a lot of pressure on the offensive line. There were blitz packages. There were a lot of things working against Sam in the first 56 minutes of that football game, Eric. And the stats show 15 for 30, and that seems like an average day or a below average day for him. But, Eric, when you factor in sometimes, there are good incompletions. Sometimes you just got to get rid of the football and live for another play. You know what I mean? I just think there wasn't as much help around him consistently in this game in order for Sam to have what would look like a better day because he had better statistics. On top of all that, Darren, Duke is sixth in the country in pass efficiency defense. There is one defense Notre Dame will see all year that's better against the pass, and that's the one he sees in practice. That's it. They're third. Yeah. Um, Louisville, okay, here's here's who's coming up. Louisville, 46th. Uh, after that, USC, 68th. Wow, that's better Pitt, than I thought. <laughs> Pitt, 122. Uh, well, USC is bat worse in the run. Clemson, 11th. They're pretty good. Wake Forest, 45th. Stanford, 116th. So, I mean, number six, even with your – best receivers that's not a picnic playing the number six pass efficiency defense sometimes you got to tip your cap to the other team it's okay to do that i know this is notre dame but sometimes the other team's pretty good too as someone used to say around these parts they have scholarship players too (laughs) i remember that (laughs) but sam was okay throughout the game a lot of stuff happening around him right and when the team needed him was as sharp 
But I also think sometimes probably the route interpretation from well said was not correct. Well said. Okay. So now let's talk about the running game for a second. It was a game in which Notre Dame tried to run the footballs effectively between the tackles, and you correctly pointed out to me in our phone conversation earlier this week that Clemson did the same thing and had a lot of success. Right. Duke has gotten better, Mm -hmm. and the circumstances at wide receiver allowed Duke to probably put even more of a Band-Aid on the run defense issues they had earlier in the season. But in this ball game, Notre Dame 32 carries for 159, five yards per carry, two touchdowns. There were points of the game where it didn't feel like they were going to end up with those totals because there were a lot of handoff to estimate running right up the middle, and he would run into a brick wall. So, Eric Hansen, Jared Parker was asked why the running game at times just was not clicking, and this is what he said last night. Yeah, I think with anything, they were downhill on us and fit us well. Um, you know, that involves their scheme, which they did a great job, and we knew they would. They're a great operation, too. I mean, they've got good personnel, and they're really good. And then to go along with us, like, there's there's some stuff that we got to execute better, too, right? And and that goes with me, too. Like, we got, I've got to be better in the game, in-game adjustments to help us get through, to find ways to maybe get the ball off the spot a little bit more, to give us some air. Um, and then... Uh, no excuses at all, but to be fair to it, right, when you're inefficient and you have the amount of penalties we had and you get – I mean, why were we – again, why were we bad on third down? Because we were on third and long eight times or more. That's – we're not going to be good on third down. Um, and so those are the things that we've got to make sure and be better at. But I think that leads to that. It was a mixture of about three or four real things, like how they fit us, how they put us down, and us not maybe missing on a couple throws that didn't give some air to it that we normally have hit or not caught, and all those things lead to kind of feeling like that by the end of the third quarter, if that makes sense. So there was a lot there. So put that on the back burner. The next question was, and this is kind of ironic, after last week, play estimate more in key situations. I don't know who was saying that on this show. But they stuck with estimate even when there was some tough sledding in between the tackles. So here is Coach Parker being asked, why did you stick with estimate? Well, here's honest. Um, I think the schemes we had to use for how they were attacking us was was pivotal in in that good and bad, meaning we had to be downhill to stay efficient, try to get the ball back through the line of scrimmage because of how they were attacking us edgewise and through us. So it limited a little bit of what we do. Um, We can't let that happen, right, anymore or as much. But it limited us, but it's also kept us pretty efficient, minus our long yard situations because of drop balls and penalties. So in that realm, that kind of applies to odd maybe more and some other plans where you get the ball out on the perimeter more of those things. So I think it was a little bit of both. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. That was good analysis there. I like that. Okay, we've had this conversation off the air, so let's bring it to the airwaves. Just give me your thoughts because there are a lot of Irish fans, including this broadcaster, that just wondered, was there an opportunity to try something different in this game? Try to get Audric to the outside. And I brought up the question, are they comfortable with Audric getting to the outside? But you believe something Duke was doing defensively forced Jared to continue to run the football between the tackles. So give me your side of this story. Right. I, I think... 
again, he was trying to, okay, what can we do about this safety? Because the safety was showing up in different places, blowing plays up. The way Duke was pinching made it, if you extended the play and, and had Otterk run laterally to the line of scrimmage, then try to punch it through, I think you were asking to get tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And so think about it, though. I mean, the bottom line, 159 yards, 5.0 per carry, but 80 yards came on three carries. The oopsie touchdown that Otterk scored at the end of the game, <laughs> the fake punt for 34 <laughs> yards, and then Sam... Hartman yeah. getting 16 or 17 yards on his fourth and 16, so around 80 yards. So yeah. half the yards came on that. Numbers look different. So I think it was difficult. I, I think probably the best candidate, and they tried this, was with Jeremiah Love if you wanted to go outside because he's a little bit faster, a little bit quicker turning up the – I mean, he's a faster running back than an estimate. Not that Audric is slow. Um, and yet – there was a play that was so perfectly blocked, and Tyler has this on Twitter, Tyler James, um, where you see the everybody else, if, if that safety wasn't there, that play probably could have gone for 25, 30 yards or maybe even a touchdown. And the safety comes up and gets him for one yard. You know, gets him by the ankle, and, and it's a one-yard gain. So I think it's really difficult. I think it's it's – you say, yeah, let's do this. And again, your thought is with that safety coming up, if you can puncture that, you know, if you can get by that, then there's nobody yeah. likely back there to, to save the touchdown. And that's kind of what happened a little bit in Audric, although he was inside, but he cut it back on the touchdown at the end of the game. He kind of was in the mosh pit and then he saw a little bit opening to the right and then he was gone. Then he outran everybody because there wasn't anybody back. Um, and they were probably thinking, okay, they're just centering it for the field goal, and they're going to try a, a field goal here. Eric, I'm going to get off track for a second. The fact that they were playing for a field goal with 39 seconds left, that needs to be addressed. That needs to be addressed. Okay. Because you're asking a guy that's 50-50 on field goal tries to win the game for maybe 48 yards. Let, let's address it now. So, okay. So what could have gone right with that strategy and what could have gone wrong? I think I'm much more comfortable with Marcus playing for a long field goal with that kicker than I am telling him to go down on the one – telling Audric to go down on the one-yard line on his own and kick an 18-yard field goal. That, to me, doesn't make any sense at all. I don't I, like either of those. <laughs> I, right. But I hate, wow. I hate the going down on your – because that's what he said after the game. Makes no sense. Yeah, I, I would have ignored him. If it was me running the ball, I, I'd say, I'm sorry, Coach. I'm Eric, running. you're behind. Correct. You can't take a right. knee right. when you're behind. I did not like that at all. Okay, but let's say he's playing for this. What's the alternative? What could go right? You have a field goal kicker that's 5 of 10, but length isn't going to be a problem. It's whether he's going to split the uprights. We do know after talking to Marty Biaggi last night, I mean, he had a very good week in practice. He was 19 of 20 on field goals. They put him in a lot of situational things. Now, again, he missed one in the game already. Mm -hmm. So 
that's what could go right. I'm, we're talking about what could go okay. right. Now, what could go wrong with that if you don't do it? Okay, if you don't do it, you could run the ball and then you would be using clock and you really don't advance the ball much, so you really are playing for a field goal. So if you pass in that situation, you do risk an interception. You also risk getting sacked and being out of field goal range and not having the chance to try that. You take away. You're still far enough away that a sack is going to take you out of field goal range. Most likely. I've got a 24-year-old quarterback who would be smart in that situation. And see, I think that's where I would I would think about at least trying another play and getting closer. Because but, you could still, Eric, but, go ahead. But I think Marcus is thinking, Tobias has been targeted four times today has zero catches, and has an offensive pass interference in this very drive trying to get open. I look at Rico Flores. He has two catches and seven targets. And and then if you throw to Mitchell Evans, what did they have at that point? They had one timeout left or none? Notre Dame. Oh, I have to go back to my notes. Okay. So, so, but if you throw to Evans, you're probably throwing over the middle. You're not probably doing a sideline route with him. So you're looking at Tobias or Rico most likely unless you get um, Chris Tyree kind of moving in that direction so he can run out of bounds. Uh, Let's see. Notre Dame called timeout with 38 seconds left. Uh, That was before the two-point conversion. So they had a timeout, at least one right there. Okay, so they had at least one timeout. And they called a timeout on first and 25 from the Irish 44. So they had at least one in their back pocket, and they spiked on first down. Audric ran on second down. Let's say you get seven, eight yards. You could still, if you wanted to, spike the ball on third down after you let the clock run down and then kick it on fourth down. So if you think eight yards could help you, just using that as an example, that's a reason to run another play because you could spike it or you could run another play and then call the timeout. I mean, you wouldn't need to spike it and call the timeout. That makes no sense. So they had a couple of different ways to stop the clock, Eric, on third down if they wanted to take a shot. And when you made the comment, well, Tobias was targeted four times, didn't make a catch, had a drop of pass interference. Well, he didn't need to be on the field if that was a concern. If you didn't think he could do it, put somebody else out there. Right. It was one timeout. You're right. Um, And they did take it before the two-point conversion. So you had a couple of different ways to stop the clock. You could take the ball out of bounds. You could spike it. Okay. Timeout. Now, if you have the Jadens, I think the decision is different. Jaden Thomas, I would trust to run the right route. I would trust him to get out of bounds. I would trust him to catch the ball. I would trust Jaden Greathouse, too. I think with those two, I think the decisions are easier. I think given what had happened in that game, you know, because they, they said, hey, let's throw it to Rico. You, I mean, we all heard the incredible video that Notre Dame put out where you got to hear what was going on in the headsets in the final drive, and Rico was the guy – you know, that they had the confidence in there. Everything you said, 
I think it's great stuff, but I trump anything with I got my 24-year-old quarterback that I gave a lot of NIL money to to be the guy in this moment. And, Eric, I trusted him. I would have trusted him to make the right decision. I think he would have been able to throw the ball away if things started to get hairy. I just have too much confidence in the kid not to push the envelope. If I have Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine, I'm kicking the field goal. There's no doubt. But you've got a kid that you have to have an enormous amount of confidence in. And Marcus has said that inside of 30 seconds, if he's at his own 20, he trusts Hartman to get him into field goal range at, at the very least. At yeah. the 32nd mark, he'll attack. I think you have to attack in that moment. I'll tell you, we've we've been talking as beat writers and media people all week with this. Before Marcus's <laughs> press conference, before we kind of heard his answers, I was talking to Chuck Babatunde Freebie. And, uh, <laughs> like, who? Well, I mean, and here's a different situation. Remember the Tulsa game in 2010, but it was a different quarterback. It was an 18-year-old Tommy Reese in his first real extended action after the starting quarterback, Dane Christ, had gone down with a season-ending injury in that game, and they were down. And all they had to do was kick a pretty short field goal with a reliable kicker. And Brian Kelly had Tommy Reese throw it to Michael Floyd in the end zone, and it got picked off, and they lost. So, I mean, different quarterback. You're right, 18-year-old versus a 24-year-old. But – Tommy Reese had Michael Floyd. There wasn't there anybody comparable to that in this game. Well, and I think also a major factor is, do you feel good about the kicker in that moment? Now, you gave all the numbers from practice, and that's right. wonderful. I also hear he kicks from 70. I'm really tired of hearing about that. I'm just needing field goals <laughs> that are reasonable to be kicked. No, I'm being serious. We hear about well, he's 19 out of 20 in practice, and he kicks 70 yarders. Well, you, I do, need you know, can't dismiss. Reality Reality is, he is shaky in games right now, and I can only base it on games. I I hear the stats, but if I have a quarterback I trust and the field goal kicker is not a given at that moment from that distance, I'm attacking. I'm trying to get closer. Well, somebody – here's a great question, and Marie from Atlanta asked this today. Okay. Why not Zach Yoakum kicking field goals? I mean – I've, I saw them both in practice, and I didn't think Zach Yoakum was any more, at least in practice, which is all you can kind of go by. We haven't seen him in games. But he wasn't any more accurate, and he couldn't kick the long ones. There is a point in this season where having a guy that can kick a 55-yarder yes. may win a game and put you in a playoff. I could see why they are trying to make this work. Now, again, is there a point where you have to have a short kicker and a long kicker? Maybe. Maybe the bye week's the time to think about that. But, you know, I think there has been improvement. Again, this is a guy that remade his swing when he came to Notre Dame. Uh, he was a guy that didn't kick over 50 yards when he was at South Florida. Now he can kick 56 or 56 we know in a game. He's done that. Well, he said he has. No, he has. He has. Yeah. Absolutely. So – is it is it a mental thing or is it him getting used to that swing and the mechanics? I think Marty Biaggi, being a former college kicker, believes in this kid, and I can understand why people at home would get nervous about that. Absolutely. Yeah. If I have Drew Pine at quarterback and the Ravens' Justin Tucker as my field goal kicker, 
I don't mind you kicking it from 48. <laughs> Kick the darn thing. But I got Sam Hartman. And mm-hmm. I trust him. I trust him. And that's why I'm giving him the keys to the Corvette. He can stay out think, past curfew. Do you, Just keep on going. Do you think the Duke media is dissecting the game in a loss as much as the Notre Dame media is in a win? They might be doing the same thing we did after the Ohio State game, that the Duke offense couldn't shut the door with their last drive that could have maybe ended the whole thing. Yeah. And they're probably having the same conversation. That that was a huge third and fourth play, third and fourth play. Because fourth and six, and their kicker had missed two field goals. They brought zero pressure, Golden yeah. did, on that third down run. Yeah. That was zero pressure. He went after that run and forced them that pooch punt. I mean, again, there's Golden pushing the right button. Yeah. Worked perfectly. And we also get back into that same conversation with the Ohio State game. In this case, Duke pressured Notre Dame to get to 4th and 16. Then on 4th and 16, they rushed 3 and dropped 8, and it prevented them from winning, mm-hmm. arguably. But I still have no problem with Al going rush 3, drop 8 on 3rd and 18 against Ohio State. If it was executed by the players, we would not have had anything to worry about. If he would have blitzed, I would have been happy. That way he'd have been happy. I think there were many ways to play that. But again, it was poorly executed by the secondary. But the Duke media probably are saying the same two things that we had a conversation about. Offense couldn't close it out. Prevent prevented Duke from winning. I wonder what Ken Jung thinks about it. <laughs> he's still We ma- couldn't put it on the air. He's still making faces at the college game day camera, I think. <laughs> Sticking his tongue out and doing all those weird things. Yeah, all you have to do is watch the hangover, Eric, and you'll get a sense of <laughs> this Duke graduate. Yikes. We're way behind. Can you stay a couple of minutes longer? I I apologize. I knew that was going to take a while, and it did. All right, let's get to a timeout. Twitter question of the day next on W. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, our Twitter question of the day from yesterday. Eric was this. If, what is the keyword? If. If you believe there is an offensive issue, what is the biggest problem? Your four choices. Wide receiver health, offensive line, play calling, or I'm not worried about the offense. I think I know where your vote would have been placed. Wide receiver health. That's where I voted as well. Here are the results. Okay. Coming in fourth place. I can guess. There's no problem. Tammy from Alabama has phoned in. I'm not worried about the offense. That's our Paul Feinbaum moment. 10.3% said they're not worried about the offense. Would you vote that last? Um, Bonus question. No. Okay. All right. Third place in the voting. 13.8% said the biggest problem is the offensive line. Eh. Okay. Second in the voting, 22.8% say it's the play calling. Okay. And we are in the majority. All right. We both voted for wide receiver health and probably could say production as well. 
53.1% said that's the biggest issue. We have a smart audience. Yes. And if they heard the first hour of the program, the wide receiver health and limited production was the first domino to fall, call, causing other dominoes to kind of fall apart, right? Is that the best way to put it? Correct. But we're not talking about dominoes. We're talking about Barnaby's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We thank you for voting. You can vote on my Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeep. So this is just one of those mid-season questions. So the Irish are 5-1, and one, mm-hmm. entering this week's game against the Cardinals. So what will the Notre Dame record be at the end of the year? They're 5-1 and one now. Mm-hmm. What will they be at the end of the year? Okay. Your choices are 11-1, 10-2, 9-3, 8-4, 9-5. Or worse. Start of the year, my final prediction was ten and two, mm-hmm. and that included a loss to Ohio State. So they're right on pace for me. Okay. So I am going to stand pat. Okay. You? My prediction at the beginning of the year was ten and two, and that included a loss to Ohio State. And I am standing pat. Um, I need to be convinced that they can beat USC. I had predicted that they would beat Clemson on the road. Me too. I think that's – when it comes around, it's going to be a pretty difficult game. I think Clemson will get better. I thought the wheels could fall off if they – and really they could if they have another loss. I just don't know if there's another loss to be had before they play Notre Dame. We are going to be correct or wrong together. We will be correct. We have everything the same. Okay. All right. Well, you can vote on this question right now. Just go to my Twitter, X account, 960Sportsbeat. Like I know, I know. If I say X, half the people might be like, what the world no, is No, th- I think you have to. I do too. All right, so 960Sportsbeat is the place to go to answer today's question. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like renaming our website Z. <laughs> There are some websites that should have that, actually. As we move along to what's coming up on your website, Eric, InsideIndieSports.com, covering the Irish as part of the Rivals Network. One of our (laughs) big page views this morning actually was a women's basketball story. Notre Dame women's basketball landed the top center in the 2024 class in Kate Koval from Long Island, New York, via Ukraine. Six-foot-five center. Um, on the number one team in the country in high school. Um, and then we also had the live chat today, so the chat transcripts up. Tyler James has a feature on Jeremiah Love. We had um, the transcripts from both of the coordinators. And also, Tyler did a great film analysis this week. If you want to know what went right, what went wrong at Duke, read that. And finally, we're extending our... Um, offer to WSBT listeners, ND Radio, hit the subscribe button at Inside ND Sports, put in the promo code ND Radio, and you get 30 month free trial of Inside ND Sports or Z. 30 day trial. 30 day. Did you I said say 30 th- months? 30 months. 30 <laughs> day trial. Because I was trying to be clever calling it Z. That's okay. 30-day trial, or that'd be the greatest trial in the history of publications. I'm sure Tyler James is going to be thrilled to hear this. 30-day. Wait, your phone's ringing. (laughs) 
<laughs> 30 days. InsideIndieSports.com. And the keyword is ND Radio. All right. I don't want that to be lost in my noise. Very good. Well, we'll do this again tomorrow. Somehow, some way, right? Sounds great. All right. That's Eric Hansen. Check out his website, InsideIndieSports.com. 45 more minutes of Sports Beat coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams. Down the sideline, Williams. Chased by Gamble. 20, 10. What a run. Touchdown. Spectacular run. Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the other tight end. Irv Smith touchdown. Five fire rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 626 at WSBT. Sportsbeat continues on this Wednesday evening. Notre Dame will take on the Pitt Panthers later on this year at Notre Dame Stadium. And it appears that the former Irish quarterback and the Twitter phenomenon, Phil Jakovic, is not going to be starting for the Panthers. In fact, the Post-Gazette in Pittsburgh is reporting multiple sources have told them that Phil Dracovic is no longer Pitt's starting quarterback, the former Irish quarterback, a four-star coming out of high school, went to BC, now at Pittsburgh. It has not gone well with the Panthers, and according to the Post-Gazette, Phil Dracovic is no longer the starting quarterback for the Panthers. All right, let's get to a little rankings, my DP college football rankings. I do it a little differently. The AP has the top 25 my co-host Eric Hansen is in a poll where he vote for the top 16. This is my football poll up until I say the word Notre Dame. So we start at number one, and I'll stop once I get to the old Fighting Irish. So away we go. We start at the top, and I have a new number one. Georgia was there last week, and it's time for the Bulldogs to step down from number one despite being the two-time defending national champions and undefeated this year. Their play doesn't appear to be championship caliber, and we just can't base rankings on what happened the last two years. I have replaced Georgia with the Florida State Seminoles out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. They are 4-0. They were idle last week. They're going to host the Virginia Tech Hokies, 3-30 on Saturday. That should be an easy win. But they have a neutral site victory over LSU. Now that win is not looking as sexy as it did a couple of weeks ago, but still a really good win on a neutral field against an SEC team. They have already beaten arguably the next best team of the ACC on the road, the Clemson Tigers, and they picked up a conference road win over BC. It wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. Jordan Travis leading that offense, the defense, has a lot of talent. I don't think they put it all together yet. But I'm putting Florida State at number one, at least for this week. But there is one team, I think, with a win this week will become the new number one. I'll get to them in a moment. We adjust from week to week. 
Georgia falls down from number one to number two. The Bulldogs 5-0. They had to scratch and claw to pick up a win against the War Eagles or the Tigers, whatever they're called this week. They beat Auburn 27-20. They trailed a good chunk of that football game before finally pulling it out against an Auburn team whose offense against A&M the week before looked lousy. Georgia hosting number 20 Kentucky between the hedges Saturday night at 7 o'clock. Now to my number three team in my DP poll as we talk about teams up until I have the Irish. Texas is my number three team, and this is the team that can become number one this week because it is the Red River shootout. Undefeated Texas, undefeated Oklahoma. Brent Venables, the Oklahoma head coach, it looks like, as a defensive-minded coach, is now starting to make progress with the OU defense, becoming a little more difficult to move the ball against. Their offense has been spectacular. But Texas has a win and Alabama. And if you beat Alabama and you beat Oklahoma on a neutral field, good chance that Texas becomes my number one team and maybe a lot of people's number one team. Their offensive line playing well, their defensive line one of the best in the country. I've got Texas at three for now, but that's in pencil. They might move up a couple of spots if they take down Oklahoma at the old Cotton Bowl. Number four from the Pac-12, I've got the Washington Huskies. They are 5-0. Was it a look-ahead moment for the Huskies? They won at Arizona 31-24. They have a massive game coming up. You talk about Pac-12 championship. You talk about college football playoffs. Well, Washington and Arizona is going to be probably one of the games of the year, or at least it has the potential. It is next Saturday, so we've got a week to talk about it, but that is going to be a fantastic game, and that game is at Husky Stadium in Seattle, Washington. My number five team of the country is the Michigan Wolverines. They started to... I think impressed for the first time. It's not like they haven't been good the first few weeks. They've been very solid, taking care of business, but they put their foot on the gas, and they ran over the Nebraska Cornhuskers in Lincoln 45-7 last Saturday, and another layup coming up for the Wolverines as the Maize and Blue will play at the Minnesota Golden Gophers Saturday night. At 7.30. Man, J.J. McCarthy is smooth as silk at quarterback for Michigan. So my top five from one to five, Florida State, Georgia, Texas, Washington, Michigan. We keep going until I say Notre Dame. At number six from the Big Ten Conference, the Penn State Nittany Lions. Coach Franklin's team is 5-0. Down early in Evanston to Northwestern. Things got righted. And Penn State, I believe, even covered, taking down the Wildcats 41-13. Penn State will have their layup this week as they will take on the UMass Minutemen. That game in Happy Valley kickoff Saturday at 3.30. 
Penn State may have their hands full with the fighting Dan Collarins, but I have a feeling Penn State will fight through and pick up their sixth win. My number seven team in the country from the Pac-12, the Oregon Ducks. They just continue to put up big numbers. They beat Stanford on the farm last Saturday by a score of 42-6. to I mean, Bo Nix, since leaving Auburn and going to Oregon, looks like a totally different quarterback. Oregon will get number seven Washington on the road next Saturday. My number eight team in the country is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ryan Day's team is 4-0. After beating the Irish, they had cheeseburgers on the couch last Saturday. And now the Ohio State defense is going to have their hands full with that Maryland passing attack. Now Maryland's probably not going to have a whole lot of luck against the Buckeye offense, but I think the spread is like 20, 21, 22 I think Maryland might be able to score enough to keep this interesting. I'm still after seeing Ohio State. They're really, really good, but I don't think they're really, 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 really good. I don't think they're a playoff team. Good chance they lose to Penn State. But for now, I've got the Buckeyes 8th at 4-0, hosting Maryland at noon. My number 9 team of the country up one spot this week because Utah said bye-bye from my college football poll up until Notre Dame. Utah beaten by Oregon State 21-7, so USC moves from 10 to 9. The Trojans are 5-0. Kind of let Colorado off the mat in the fourth quarter. USC's offense spectacular. USC defense anything but. You can really run it down their throat. USC ended up winning in Boulder 48-41. They've got Arizona next, 10.30 kickoff, and, of course, they'll be in South Bend in 10 days. Coming in at number 10 in my poll, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Alabama, 4-1. Are they starting to find themselves? They lost to Texas at home by 10, and slowly it's getting better. They went on the road and handled Mississippi State and their cowbells 40-17. Another tough roadie for the old Tide. They go to Texas A&M where they lost on a last-second field goal two years ago. Bama up one spot to number 10. Jumping Notre Dame and entering my poll, the DP poll up until Notre Dame, at number 11, soon to be from the SEC but still Big 12, the Oklahoma Sooners. Their combination of offense and defense has caught my attention. Offense is out of this world good. Defense is taking strides. Tested by Texas this week, of course. But Oklahoma 5-0. They routed Iowa State in Norman 50-20. Coach Campbell stayed a little too long at Iowa State. And now the Red River shootout. OU, Texas, 12 o'clock Saturday. Be there, Aloha. And we end our poll at number 12. I leave Notre Dame where I had them last week at number 12. The Irish 5-1. Wasn't easy at Duke. Got it done winning 21-14. I think this week will be much easier at number 25. Louisville 7-30 kick here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 6-36 is our time. That's my DP poll up until Notre Dame. From 1-12, to Florida State. 
Georgia, Texas. Four through six, Washington, Michigan, Penn State. Seven through ten, Oregon, Ohio State, USC, Alabama. And then Oklahoma at 11 and Notre Dame at number 12. More sports speed coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. All right, it's 644. Darren Pritchett back with you. Today's My Five, the five Louisville football players to know as the Irish get set to take on the Cardinals Saturday night at 7.30 on WSBT Radio. Well, one, two, and three are on offense because the defense giving up 424 yards per game. That is 117th in the country, but I did find a couple of guys to round out our My Five. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. At number five, defensive back Cameron Kelly. Kelly is second on the team in tackles with 24, 11 solos, 13 assists. Kelly also a big factor in defending the pass. He's already intercepted two passes so far this year. Four. Coming in at number four, we go to the linebacking core of the Cardinals, and that's where we find T.J. Quinn. It's interesting, in the preseason, I didn't read much about him, but Quinn so far, number one on the team in tackles, with 32, Quinn has 16 solos, 16 assists. He has a fumble recovery and a pass defense already this year. And he is coming off a really solid performance in Louisville's last game, last Friday, at NC State, a game the Cardinals won 13-10. Linebacker T.J. Quinn had 11 tackles against the Wolfpack. Coming in at number three, wide receiver, Jamari Thrash. They have some really good skill on this football team, and Thrash is the leader of the wide receiving core. Thrash this year already has 22 catches for 444 yards. He is averaging 20.2 yards per catch. That catches your attention. He has a long catch of 85 yards this year, and Thrash by far the biggest target. Here the end zone for Jack Plummer as Thrash already has five touchdown receptions. Number two. Louisville players to know at number two running back, Jawar Jordan, J-A-W-H-A-R. Jordan this year has 66 carries for 510 yards. He is electric 7.7 yards per carry. He has six rushing touchdowns, and he might be introduced a few times Saturday night to the guys in the middle of that defensive line for Notre Dame, the National Defensive Player of the Week, Howard Cross, and also Riley Mills coming off a very productive game against the Duke Blue Devils. Number one. And the number one player to know, you probably already know, because we faced him twice, but at different schools. We're talking about quarterback. Jack Plummer on the season. Plummer is hitting on 65% of his throws for 1,406 yards, 11 touchdowns. This veteran quarterback has been picked off six times, and he has been sacked nine times. Nine. That's right. Nine times. Nine 
He has one rushing touchdown. You don't expect him to run a whole lot. But Plummer has faced the Irish twice, both at Notre Dame Stadium. 2021, he was a Purdue Boilermaker, and he was throwing every pass about two yards down the field. Plummer went 25 of 36 for 187, a touchdown, no picks. Then he showed up the next year at Notre Dame Stadium in a California Golden Bear uniform. In that game against the Irish, Plummer went 16 of 37 for 184, a touchdown, and a pick. So combined, Plummer as a Boilermaker and a Bear against the Irish, under 5 I should say under 50% completion percentage, 41 of 73 for 371 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Those are Louisville players to know going into the Irish matchup with the Cardinals Saturday night at 7.30 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 